You are now listening to the Inner Circle Podcast Network. Good, everybody. Buongiorno, buenos dias. Ni hao, konnichiwa, motherfuckers. Welcome to Abacabu Cafe. I am your host, Jason Almi. I want to thank you very much for listening to this episode. Today, we are going to be discussing Kimagure Orange Road TV episode 17, entitled The Summer Temptation, A Double Date Out of the Blue. This episode originally aired July 27th of 1987, and it was directed by Shinbayashi Minoru, who previously directed episode 8, Shutter Chance at the Beach, that episode. Shinbayashi also previously directed episode 13, Shikaru's Super Transformation. This episode was written by Shizuya Isao, who previously wrote episode 11, Don't Ring the Wedding Bell, and who also wrote OVA 3, I Was a Cat, I Was a Fish which I discussed as a bonus on Patreon last week. Please feel free to go check out patreon.com slash teamalmi. I'm posting tons of Abakabu-related podcast bonus early releases as well as some exclusive bonus stuff that's going to stay on Patreon for the foreseeable future, such as our chat episodes. So as I've mentioned previously about Shizuya, a lot of Shizuya's scripts rely fairly heavily on the power, and today's episode is no different. We're going to talk about some of Casca's power use in this episode, but much as with OVA 3, the main plot of this episode really wouldn't be possible without the power. If we were talking about a romantic comedy, a slice of life that did not involve the protagonist's family having ESP, we really wouldn't have been able to pull off today's episode. Now, Kasuga starts this episode much like he did in OVA 3. He starts with an early voiceover complaining about his homework. Of course, um, they're off for about 40 days, I think is the standard that I read. So the summer vacation is about 40 days. It's a little shorter than what we get over here, but still ample time um, to, to get up to some trouble 
as Casca does in this episode. And also there's homework. And he's he really doesn't want to study at the outset of this episode. He's he's like resting his head on his desk and, and it, there's books splayed across his desk. He just doesn't have any motivation to do it. Work versus play is going to be a big theme in this episode. This week's lesson is very much about work versus play. And we get these real similar like dog days of summer establishing visuals uh, that we that we got in OVA 3 with the exterior shots that establish that the action that we're about to see is occurring at Kasuga family's apartment. And we get that like real heavy heat, the, the sort of heat waves causing uh, images to ripple slightly and the sound of the cicadas. And they really communicate without saying that it's like the dog days of summer. They really communicate that very well here, very effectively here, and very similarly to how they did in OVA 3. So we see some cohesion here. And that's another reason why I tend to view OVA 3 here with uh, these summer episodes. They it just it fits in kind of thematically, at least. Not totally stylistically, because, you know, those OVAs stick out a little bit like a sore thumb. But, but at least thematically, it fits in. In the next scene, we see Ayukua lift Kasuga's spirits by inviting him to come study with her. Kasuga, of course, is very passive. He's waiting for Ayukua to call him. He's waiting for Ishikaru to call him. He's not really making any moves. He's not taking any initiative himself. Lucky for him, Ayuko gives him a ring. She needs an excuse, or maybe I should say a pretense, to see Kasuga during the summer break. They would normally have seen each other during the school year. They're in class. Plenty of opportunity for them to talk or commingle or walk home together because they had school together. They were in the same class. But during a 40-day summer vacation, she needs a pretense to see him. She wants to watch the fireworks with him that evening, and apparently she can't just ask him to do something social. She has to make it a little contrived, like it uh, like it just so happens that the fireworks are going and we've just finished studying. So that's what Ayukawa clearly has in mind in this early scene. A cutaway um, to Kasuga Takashi during Kasuga's conversation with Ayukawa includes one of the twins. You can't tell which one because... Their hand is holding the fireworks and it moves past the camera in an extreme close-up. So you don't even know whose hand it is. But but they include this for a reason. There's a reason why they would animate a very close-up image of fireworks passing by the camera. I mean, it's all intentional. That's the beauty of animation. Everything you see is intentional. There's no gaff. There's no you don't see a guy holding a boom mic in the background or in a mirror. You don't see a boom mic creep into the frame. Everything's done on purpose. They show us this for a reason. And it's because those fireworks are going to play a role later in Kasuga as he resolves the conflict for this episode. So Ayukawa is asking Kasuga to study. She's explaining that they'd probably do better together. She's really focusing on needing to get the homework done. But even as she's saying this, when we cut to her, we see that she's gazing at a flyer that she's holding for the fireworks display that's going on that evening. Clearly, that's what's on her mind, not the homework. As she moves the flyer, we get this reveal of uh, the yukata that she would plan to wear that evening. Yayuko was planning to wear this traditional um, uh, cotton uh, summer kimono. It's called a yukata. And, and not something that one would wear to study at the library, but certainly something that someone would wear to uh, go see some fa- uh, fireworks that evening. So she's already picked out her clothes for the evening with Kasuga. She's got the whole evening plan 
schoolwork is obviously just a pretense to get them together. She's hoping it rolls into them hanging out for the evening. It's really kind of sweet on her part. She's being a little bit coy about it. Uh, she's not coming right out and saying it. Unfortunately, Casca needs that sometimes. He's not going to pick up on the subtext in this episode that Ayukua is secretly hoping that their hangout will continue into the evening and that they'll be able to attend the fireworks together. He's not getting it. So as cynical as Ayukua can seem sometimes about men, she's always talking about men lying when it suits them and shit like that. She's really being pretty hopeful here with Kasuga. And she's really, it's really kind of cute. It's something about her that makes her seem like a teenage girl for once. She doesn't seem like some weird adult that's dropped into this uh, male fantasy. She actually seems like kind of a real young person here. So even in this very early scene, we have initial images that communicate Ayukua's true motivation for calling Kasuga, as well as Kasuga's eventual resolution with those fireworks that we saw pass by the camera very, very uh, closely. Here we got Bayshore Dancing Way. That's off Sound Color 1. If you want to find this song, go to YouTube or wherever else you go. Search for Bayshore Dancing Way. Of course, this is the music that plays when Kasuga accepts Shikaru-chan's invitation to the pool. When she invites him on the phone, I mean, in the, as soon as he hangs up with Ayuko, the phone rings. And, and we see this fantasy of Kasuga's. The pool equals fun. That's playtime for him. He prioritizes this short-term gratification by double-booking himself, unfortunately. This goes back to his uh, initial voiceover monologue where he was lamenting the amount of schoolwork that he has to do even on this vacation. So uh, he's laid out with this temptation to go and uh, play at the pool with Shikaru, and he sees her in his mind's eye in her bikini, asking him to put oil on her. And it's one of the rare times that he sort of sexualizes Shikaru. Uh, he tells himself that he's just going to go do a little swimming in the morning before meeting Ayukua. He's not supposed to meet her till about 1.30 or so. And upon arriving at the pool, we get a little bit more of this rare sexualization of Shikaru, especially from Casca's point of view. Casca sees her in her bikini and his gaze starts down by her feet. Her ankles travels up her body from her toes to her face. And for once, in a rare uh, rare event, he's besotted by her appearance. Really, the only other time that this has happened is episode 13. And it's really when she's appearing more mature and older. She's kind of showing off a little bit here, right? She's got a little more skin exposed. The bikini must be very flattering on her. Just as her mature appearance in episode 13, her super transformation episode also intrigued Kasuga. So here, while she's wearing the bikini, he's less able to contextualize her as this younger um, student, Kohai, and uh, view her kind of in, in his sister's bucket. Just as in the previous episode, Uma and Ushko appear in the pool, this time not quite as ridiculously. Again, none of the characters interact with Uma and Ushko. This gag is just for us as the viewers now. None of the other characters are paying uh, Uma and Ushko any mind, and it's probably for the best that Uma and Ushko are, are just a gag for the viewer now because really the reason why they're here is to make fun of the whole super serious, young, star-crossed lovers romance angle anyway by lampooning Romeo and Juliet with their lines. 
So they're really here for us. It's a wink at the audience anyway. It's for the best. Although maybe not as good an appearance. I tend to favor their more ridiculous appearances or their more meta appearances. In this one, they're just kind of swimming by the pool. We shoehorn them in. We get them in this episode, but it's not. Uh, we missed them in the OVA. In, in, in OVA 3, I was a cat. I was a fish. They didn't appear. So I missed them uh, talking about uh, that OVA over the weekend. To add a wrinkle to his day just before leaving to meet Ayukawa, Kosuka learns that his sisters are there at the pool too with none other than Komatsu and Hata, which means all form of, of sexual assault might be on the table. And now he not only has to juggle these competing commitments to Ayukawa and Shikaru-chan, but he's also got to worry about his sisters being molested by uh, these two creeps. And rightfully so, he doesn't trust Hata and Komatsu to keep their hands to themselves. So now he's got this extra concern that he now has to also run interference on those douchebags. So he feels this pressure in addition to wanting to spend time with Shikaru at the pool. So there's even more reason to like drag him there. He can't get away from this pool date. It's also possible that the unintentional touching of Shikaru, such as um, uh, when he's conscious of her breasts touching him, uh, she grabs his arm. She kind of leans into him, and and we get these uh, tight shots of her her breast kind of rubbing up against the back of his arm and sort of mushing on him a little bit. And he's very conscious of this. It's impossible to, to mush your breast on a teenage boy without him noticing. They will notice. He could be in a coma. He could be brain dead, and he would notice a, a breast being mushed into him if he's in his teenage years. I'm telling you that. So it's also possible that this is kind of like a little bit of a sexual allure to Casca, making him also want to stay at the pool. But it could also be reminding him that he needs to try and prevent that kind of contact between the twins and Komatsu and Hata. That's exactly what Komatsu and Hata are going for. They want to get close to the twins so they can kind of smush up on him. And he knows it and he wants to prevent it. So now he's got this extra layer, this extra wrinkle in his plans for the day, it's going to make it even harder for him to commit his time fully to Ayukawa that day because he's going to be working even harder to juggle and be in two places at once. Akasuka teleports back and forth between the library and the pool. His first teleportation to the library, he lands right in front of the doorway, like the big front entrance to a, a big multi-floor library. It's a great recipe for getting caught. It's one of those things about this episode that, you know, if you're going to teleport, go in and out of the bathroom or something like that. You know, you have a stall there. You could go in. You could lock the stall. You could teleport back into the stall. Instead of teleporting to the front door of this massive building that's obviously open, Ayukawa sees right through Kasuga's initial bullshit, per usual. It's not like Ayukawa to have the wool pulled over her eyes. She was also invited to the pool, you see. So... She, of course, makes a good guess that Costco was late because he was at the pool with the others. She gives him this super salty line about, was Shikaru glad to see you, that type of thing. And you can tell she's just, she's simmering a little bit because uh, he's supposed to be spending time with her. He committed to her, and yet he tried to make both things work. Not good for us people pleasers. I typically give Costco a lot of credit for being able to intuit What's going on with Ayukawa? He can usually tell that something's going on with her. He can usually tell what she's feeling. And he's usually got a good idea of why. But today he's really not able to deduce 
that she wants to hang out with him that evening. She's really not able to put together that this is a pretense. They're going to study, but then she also wants to hang out. It's going to turn into coffee. It's going to turn into fireworks. It's going to turn into an evening meal. You could spend a whole date with the girl you got a crush on, Kasuga, if you weren't such adult in this episode. He's written a little bit more as a as adult here. He's not quite as, he doesn't have that nuance of character where, yes, he can be adult, but at the same time, a large portion of the value that he provides to Ayuko as a potential partner is that he is able to catch on to her moods. She's Kimagure, but he's able to roll with it, that he's able to work with her and adapt. And it really is a matter of not necessarily having any expectations about her attitude. So this episode, I think they they dumbed him down a little bit with the writing because he really just doesn't get it. He's just so obtuse that he thinks he can maintain this double date being two places at once. And it doesn't work, as I'm going to say in a few minutes. Now, Kasuga does notice Ayukawa's physicality as well. This may be a little bit more typical of him. There's a soft focus that's used on shots of Ayukawa, as usual. This is a stylistic element that's usually very, very consistent episode to episode. So when Kasuga is noticing Ayukawa's face, her neckline, her breasts, or her legs, there's this soft focus, and it's employed here. Again, it almost just looks like this very light haze, very subtle haze that goes uh, like in between the camera and the subject. This is called a soft focus. It's used a lot in classic Hollywood films too. It always looked so incredible in black and white, but it works here too to um, give Ayuko this, I don't know, this sort of... um, it does evoke the the uh, golden age of Hollywood for me. And so, at least in my opinion, it, it does evoke that sort of timeless beauty and that it's very appropriate for Ayuko's character in, in how they portray her and her traits. Somehow, his sexualization of Ayuko actually becomes a reminder that his sisters are still at the pool wearing bathing suits with Komatsu and Hata still waiting to strike, uh, pounce, I should say. And even as he's looking at her her body, he's remembering, wow, my sisters are at the pool and these two guys that I surreptitiously call my friends, I probably shouldn't. They're waiting to pounce on these these two sisters of mine. So that reminds him, oh shit, I got to teleport back. And he's got to go back and forth between the two locations. He's got to keep an eye, try to keep an eye on his sisters while also maximizing his time with Ayukawa. Of course, it's played for humor, mostly, his travels. But it like legit give me anxiety. Like every time I watch this episode, this was like a high anxiety episode for me because he's teleporting into the women's locker room by accident. He's just appearing out of nowhere. He's uh, returning to the library drenched, telling Ayukawa it's sweat of all things. Like this is the girl you got a crush on. You've had a crush on for months. This is like your dream woman, and you're gonna tell her that you're just drenched with sweat as if that is an amazing turn on doesn't seem like it's going to work. Like, I'm not going to show up to my crush. I'm like, yeah, I'm dripping head to toe in sweat. Yeah, we're inside a library uh, studying, but, you know, it's hot in here. And I'm I'm nasty. I'm disgusting. I just sweat. He travels back just to punch Komatsu, which I loved. He, like, appears at the top of a slide. Some kid sees him. He near He's nearly drowned by teleporting directly into the pool, colliding with a diver. Uh, bookcases almost crush him. So it's played as a lot of physical humor. A lot of like, he's almost getting crushed or he's getting hit. He's taking this abuse. The janitor walks in on him in a relative state of undress that would be very inappropriate for a library. I love that part. 
That's actually one of my favorite parts because she's just looking at him like, what in the hell are you doing? Like, why don't you have pants on in this damn library, kid? There's a lot of people that witness him teleporting into the pool area. It, it, it was really a very anxiety-provoking episode. But again, it's another contrivance. It's supposed to make us laugh when the kid at the top of the slide is, is super shocked that Casca teleports in front of him and like cuts in line on, on the water slide. But, but really, that's the type of thing that they're always harping on not using the power in public about. I mean, it's a, it's a demonstration of how wrong it could go, but also, like, who cares? This episode's not about him having to leave town potentially, so it doesn't matter that uh, a locker room full of girls saw him teleport in. It doesn't matter that a kid on the top of a slide saw him teleport in. It doesn't matter. We're not going to talk about it ever again. It's okay. Try not to think about it while you're falling asleep tonight, Jason. So I, I just have to wonder, like when I'm feeling all anxious about him trying to be in two places at once, what's he telling Ayukawa each time? That he's got wildly explosive diarrhea? He ate some fucked up takoyaki and it's like ripping through his insides? I don't know what he's telling her, but that's the most plausible excuse and also the last excuse you'd want to give the girl that you like. So I don't know what he's telling her. He's just showing up with a shitting grin. Kasuga's got the Kasuga logic. He's got the Kasuga luck, and he's got the Kasuga look, which is a shit-eating grin on his face. And and I guess he doesn't have to make up an excuse for why um, he ate some old soba noodles out of his fridge or something like that because his dad's a photographer, and Manami didn't cook that night or something. Ayukawa semi-subtly lets him know that she can tell he's full of shit. She was just upstairs getting a study guide as well. She didn't see him up there. Casca doesn't leave after that. To his credit, he intuits, at least at that point, that the jig is up. She can walk through the library as well. And when he's gone for 20 minutes at a time, she's got plenty of time to get up and go looking for him. Unfortunately for him, though, he's used his power a whole lot. And what happens to Casca is when they use their power a whole lot, they get pretty tired. He does start falling asleep here, and Ayukua finally decides to pull the plug. She tells Casca that she's got to work at Abakabu that night, which we know is a lie. We know because she was looking at the flyer for the fireworks. She wanted to go see the fireworks with Kasuga that night. She didn't have to work. I wonder why she lied. Did she lie because she wanted to soften the blow a little bit for Kasuga? And instead of leaving because uh, she's sick of his shit, maybe she made it seem like she's leaving because she has to work. So it's like, I got to go anyway and not you're being a jackass, so I'm out of here. I got better things to do than watch you fall asleep and drool on your homework that you haven't finished. Now, there's this great shot of her leaving, and she's walking out of the library, and he really, he can't say anything. He's just, he's sort of like, oh, shit, I fucked up. There's this great shot of her leaving, and they communicate this sense of distance. Uh, they achieve it with with this a library table. They include the library table in the shot and you see the whole length of the table. So it's got this great use of depth and it also communicates this distance between him and Ayukawa. It's a great shot for her leaving and for him being like fucked up. There's a good use of lighting here in these library scenes too. You get that afternoon sun like really streaming in and it's like the perfect nap time. I don't know about y'all, but for me that like afternoon sun, that like four o'clock the sun's just at that perfect angle, and you've been up just long enough to be really tired of, of everything life has thrown at you. It is the perfect nap time for me. Now, Casca does make one final jaunt to the pool. He's 
so physically drained, and he's bummed that Ayukua ditched him for the day that he shows no reaction at all to Hata chasing the twins while smothered in oil, trying to rub it off of him onto them. They say, oh, uh, Onichan, save us, but they're obviously playing, right? Kurumi is clearly enjoying herself. We get another use of Dangerous Triangle here. You guys like this track? Go check it out. Dangerous Triangle. Search for that one. Keira Masanori is the singer. So that might help you out if you uh, use that as a search term. And this is the song that plays over the sequence of Ayukawa reporting in for work. She lets Master off the hook for once. Somebody does Master a solid. That poor guy gets abused. This whole series finally... They throw him a bone. He gets to go spend some time with his family that evening, and Ayukua takes over for him. Now, during this sequence, it's an almost wordless sequence. There's a few lines of dialogue exchanged between uh, Kyosuke and Takashi Kasuga, and um, otherwise it's 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 dialogueless, which is, on the one hand, it feels like an influence of, of uh, MTV in the 1980s, but then on the other hand, it's really kind of nice to, to communicate things wordlessly. There are some really phenomenal examples of something called the Kuleshov effect in this music video style sequence. Uh, you guys can Google Kuleshov effect, but I'll give you some examples. There's a telling shot when Ayukawa is closing up Abakabu, all the lights are off and she's wiping down a table by the, by the window. She sees this happy couple walking by outside from the corner of her eye and it cuts back to her face as she's witnessing them walk by and moments like these make it seem like Ayukawa is this fairly normal teenage girl despite everything she has on Shikaru. She's smarter than Shikaru. She's a better athlete than Shikaru. She gets better grades than Shikaru. She can uh, beat the crap out of anybody. It really seems like she's still kind of envious that Shikaru can walk down the street arm in arm with Kasuga like that. And that's something that's closed off from her despite all of her other attributes. She's got the maturity that Shikaru envies. But Shikaru's got something that she envies, and we see that in that scene, and it's communicated completely wordlessly. That's the Kuleshov effect. Ayukawa looks across Abakabu uh, in the next moment. She sees her bag resting silently on one of the chairs opposite her. She's immediately thinking about the yukata that we know to be inside that bag. She's lamenting that she's not wearing it with Kasuga and watching the fireworks in that very moment as the fireworks are going off outside. And that's communicated completely wordlessly. We know it just from the cut to the bag, show us the bag, cut back to Ayukawa, show us Ayukawa's face, show us the emotion on her face. We fill in the rest of the gaps. That's called the Kuleshov effect. So this is something that was determined in the 1920s. Kuleshov, I think, was making, it's a Russian... A fellow making films in the 1920s. So this is not a new technique that was invented by uh, the filmmakers for Orange Road for this episode or any other episode of Orange Road. This is a pre-existing filmmaking technique that's used to great benefit here. No dialogues needed in these sequences. No one needs to tell us as the audience precisely what's happening, precisely what they're thinking. The editing is communicating all of the pertinent info. So ultimately, the lesson behind this episode is about the temptation towards immediate gratification versus investment in a more long-term plan. Long-term gratification versus 
short-term gratification. These two often conflict. Our our short-term kind of wants are oftentimes at odds with our long-term wants, the things that we desire for ourselves over long periods of time. Kasuga faces the temptation of immediate gratification with the pool day, the immediate gratification of of, uh, the sexuality of like rubbing oil on Shikaru. He knows he's going to get something for sure with Shikaru and the pool that he may or may not get with Ayukawa and the study session at the library. This reflects his earlier voiceover. He's wishing that he didn't have homework over the vacation. He doesn't want to do his homework. He's got all his homework splayed out across his desk, and yet he can't even look at it. He's like resting his head on on the the table. And the the lack of homework at the pool, Shikaru's in a bikini at the pool, but he's still kicking the can down the road. That homework still has to get done. And then there's the matter of Ayukwa. This is the girl that he'd rather be with. I'm convinced of that at this point in the series. I don't think for one second that Shikaru holds a candle to Ayukawa in, in Kasuga's mind. So he'd much rather be with Ayukawa. Why, why choose the pool? And that's always been something hard about this episode for me to watch. Even as a young man, even 25 years ago, when I was watching this and I was 15, I was just like, dude, why are you doing this to yourself? Why? You know what you want to do. The pool sounds nice, sure. Young people notoriously don't make great decisions in terms of their long-term happiness. I think people in general, you can find some good examples of some people that that do prioritize their long-term wants and needs, but I think human beings in general, we have a hard time with impulsiveness. We have a hard time with with um, really uh, prioritizing our long-term wants and needs over our short-term wants. Now, they say a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Until I was 43, I had no idea what that meant. Eventually, I had to Google it. But what it means is that using the power to go back and forth between two places means that Casca is never really spending quality time in either place. He's too busy hopping back and forth to make either of his appearances meaningful. By trying to please both Shikaru and Ayukawa, he really can't fully please either one. He's going to wind up disappointing them both. It's a testament to Ayuko's patience that she puts up with the shit for as long as she does. Now, Kasuga is a people pleaser, as I've mentioned a few times before. He has to learn that he can't please everyone. And that's what this episode is in part about. That's part of his arc for this episode. The power of saying no is super important for people pleasers like us. It's just not easy. Kasuga does seem to get that near the end when he skips out on hanging out with Shikaru and the others in order to complete the homework that he should have done earlier in the day at the library with Ayukawa. As he's working on his homework, he has brief recollections of telling Shikaru and the gang that he wasn't going to go with them to the fireworks display. We see a shot of Shikaru looking distinctly displeased or disappointed at that. So he lets Shikaru down. I mean, ultimately, he does the right thing. He learns the lesson that you need to say no sometimes to do the thing that you really want to do, that you know you want to do. So we see fireworks exploding outside Kasuga's window while he's buckling down on his homework. And that's a visual reminder that there's fun out there. There's playtime out there happening in Kasuga's full view while he's doing homework. But he's able to disregard that temptation. He's able to focus on achieving his long-term desires. He's even able to have an intimate moment with Ayukawa 
Give her a little bit of a chance to wow him with her yukata. He has the opportunity to admire her. It's very obvious throughout this whole episode that she wants him to see her in the yukata, and she wants to she wants him to think that she's beautiful in it or that she's cute in it. Regardless, that's been her main goal the whole episode. He gets to make that happen, which is great. And then he brings in the fireworks. All right, everybody. I want to thank you guys all for listening once again. I really do appreciate it. Also, please go check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash Team Alma. You'll be supporting the show, Abacabo Cafe. Help me pay for my equipment and shit. You'll also be receiving all sorts of goodies from me. I'm going to send merch to everybody, every tier. You all get merch. You also will receive access to exclusive episodes. I've got some Patreon-exclusive Abacabo Cafe chats going where I'll talk to other people who are uh, involved in podcasting or or who enjoy Orange Road. We'll be talking about the series, and uh, so I'll be sharing that. Special features to Patreon. Also, coming up, we're going to watch Sheen Core. Summer's beginning. I've never seen it before, and I'm going to watch it, and I'm going to stream it live so you guys can watch my real reactions to that piece of filth. Or maybe it's great. I don't know. But I'm going to find out, and you guys can watch me find out. Watch the look on my face as I see this thing for the first time. So please, check out patreon.com slash teamalmy. You'll also get access to my other show, Shit Happens When You Party Naked. It's a wonderful show. It's just not appropriate for really anybody. So I put it over there on Patreon because it was offending people in real life. I had people coming after me trying to find where I live. Uh, the, the Atlanta Olympics bomber was putting a pipe bomb in my in my mailbox it was no good no bueno uh, i love you guys all very much for listening if you haven't yet please subscribe uh tell a friend force a friend to watch orange road use the use the little device that they've got in a clockwork orange to force their eyeballs open and make them watch all 48 episodes and listen to my podcast you'll be doing them a favor you'll be doing me a favor we'll both wind up appreciating you writing you very nice christmas cards at the end of the year I got no idea what I want to play. What do I want to play? All right, guys, thank you again for listening. I appreciate you very, very much. I'll see you guys again next week.
You dropped my $500 headphones? 